Texas Department of Criminal Justice keeps a digital website of all convicted and executed inmates' last words and statements. They, they have these last words of every executed inmate back to 1976. Out of the inmates who gave last words or wrote out their last words, they studied 400 and, I'm sorry, 543 prisoners and 417 made these last statements or wrote those out. The most common word found in all of these statements made, remember, by convicted criminals about to be executed, the number one word that was used was the word love. In fact, let me read a couple of their last statements. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you all. Please take care. I say this with love. I'm sorry. I say this to my family with love and with God. I love you. I want to tell you folks out there, I have love in my heart for you. And then another I'll just start by saying, I love all of you. Now, here, in perhaps, I guess, the most apprehensive, distressing moment that could be given to humanity. And, and these individuals know that within minutes, they are going to draw their last breath. And the thing that is on their mind is, I've got to let the people know that I love them. And don't forget, these people weren't arrested for jaywalking. These were convicted murderers. Some had to have depraved minds. And, and seared souls. But still, in the midst of all of that, that mindset that could commit murder, and standing on the precipice of eternity, the people, their mindset, their heart was, I've got to tell the people that I love them. That's significant. I think it simply confirms what the Scripture teaches us, that love, that love is the most powerful element in this world. God calls it that. God says that Love is the greatest attribute of the Christian life, and it is the highest calling 
for the believer. Love. The power force of God. So this morning, we have, in our study of love, we have looked at the fact that there, are, that there were six positive statements or words given about love, and we've covered those. We also noted that there was a statement that was both positive and negative, and we've covered that. And so now we're going to be looking at eight negative connotations given to the word love, not not describing the negativity of love, but trying to help us understand what agape love is, they use some negatives. Love, agape, is not this. In fact, the first uh, negative description is actually the third overall term that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 7, and it simply says this. It's not uh, a long statement. Simply that love does not envy. Now, you may read that and probably have read that, and you just kind of go right through it. Because we don't think a lot about envy, but we're going to this morning. What in the world could be this concept that agape love, the love of God, the way we need to love each other, does not envy? The best definition for envy that I've found is this. Now listen. It is an incurable fear that others or that someone else has it better than you do. Envy. Incurable fear that someone else has it or is better off than you. Let's kind of clarify and refine that definition a little bit. We can compare envy, contrast envy to to similar terms so that we can hone it down to exactly what God is saying. In other words, envy is not greed. Greed is about having more. Envy is about being more. Greed is about stuff. Envy is about status. Greed delights in our own good fortune. Envy delights in your misfortune. So envy's not greed. <clears throat> Neither is envy jealousy. Jealousy is about holding on to what you have. Envy is about me wanting what you're holding on to. The idea is, if you can't have it, 
Or if I can't, if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. So envy really is this incurable fear that others have it better than we do. And, and in that scenario, for the believer, in effect, when we envy what someone else has that we don't, whether it be uh, uh, riches or family or some other concept that we deem important, if we envy what they have and we don't, we are in effect telling God, accusing God of child neglect. You're taking care of him, but you're not taking care of me. You gave that to them. How come you didn't give it to me? And so in anger, not only against the other person, because if you're envious of them, you're not going to be buddies. Not only are you angry at them, but you're angry at God. We can trace envy biblically all the way back to the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 17, the very final commandment, says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God dealing with us is not about them. And envy, this covetousness, there is a reason that God tells us that in His realm, the love, agape love of God, in His Spirit, love does not envy. I found three reasons in the Scripture why envy is a downhill slide for all of us. Three reasons. The first. The first reason why God outlaws envy in His realm and spirit is because envy will be damaging to our spirits. If we carry envy in our heart, it will damage our own soul. Proverbs 14.30 A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Here, envy is equated to this phrase that we've all heard before, rottenness to the bones. And I don't mean to be gross, but this term rotten, or rottenness, 
means to be worm-eaten. It's bones, your bones rotting as wood rots. And so there's this charge leveled against this fear that somebody else has it better than ourselves. And he's telling us that it will literally, literally and metaphorically eat us alive. It will crumble us. It will crush us. It's a dying inside that we won't measure up to other people. There's a story, <clears throat> a legend, about an old saint who came upon these two men who were arguing with each other about which of the two was the greatest. They were going back and forth, you know, accounting all the things that they had done. And this old saint walks up to them and says, I'll tell you what. I will give you a wish. Each of you. And I will make this wish come true. The only caveat is that whatever you ask for, I'm going to give double to the other guy. And so he pointed to one and said, okay, what's your wish? And the guy thought, man, if I wish for riches, for money, then that guy's going to get double what I get. If I wish for fame or power, he's going to be twice as famous and have double the power. And so the guy walked around and thought for a while and and then all of a sudden stopped, turned around and came running back. And he said, I've got it. I know what I want wish for. Take out one of my eyes. That's envy. It's not just that I'm angry at God because he doesn't do better for, for me. It's that I'm angry at God and angry at this guy because he seemed to have done better for him, in, <laughs> in my opinion. And envy will destroy the heart. It can really mess us up. Envy is a form of hatred against another person built on our own insecurities. It's an evil that lurks in our heart and can drive us to emotional and spiritual despair. But not only is it damaging to our spirits, but envy is also detrimental to our faith. Follow me in reading Psalm 73. I want to share a little story about a guy 
by the name of Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. He was both a singer, a musician in the temple, and a writer. Asaph is one who authored 12 of the Psalms that we have today. And Psalm 73 is one of his own. So follow me in Psalm 73, and I'm going to read uh, the, the whole Psalm, 1 through 28. Asaph writes, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. I was envious. Here's why. Because I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You're starting to like this guy already, aren't you? For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and they speak, wick they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return. And waters are a full cup, are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are at ease with their riches, uh, increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart, then he says in verse 13, in vain. If this is the case, then I have cleansed my heart. I have lived my life righteously in vain. And I've washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. That is, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. Surely you set them apart in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, that how they are brought to desolation. As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one wakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by the right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare 
all your works. Here is a man who was deeply, deeply divided in his heart. He was angry against God, and he was angry against mankind. Envy was swallowing Asaph up. Asaph, the temple singer and the biblical writer. His feet almost slipped, he said. Here's what Asaph saw when he looked at the world. He saw that the ungodly people were the ones being blessed with riches, with health, with good things. While he saw he himself as suffering and in financial woes and not being a part of the blessing of God. And so Asaph could not reconcile these two realities that, that these godless people were being heaped on the riches of God while God's people suffered. He thought, is God now rewarding sinfulness? Have, have I been walking with him righteously in vain? Am I the stupid one here? Am I the one that's missed the mark? And this, this system of envy was beginning to crush his spirit. That is, he said, until he walked into the sanctuary of God. And he said, I remembered the end, the end plan of God. He said, I remembered that all flesh is as dust and that every person will face death. And after death, judgment, eternity. And so, Asaph thought, God, it's good that you bless the ungodly in this world because they're going to suffer for eternity. And that transformed his spirit. He became renewed. He let go of the envy. And that's where envy stems from. That's its origin. We're talking about being envious of the things of this world that moth and rust destroy. Envy, like darkness dispelling when a light comes on. Envy runs from the presence and love of God. 
when our focus becomes truly Him, and we become thankful for all that we have, realizing that tomorrow's coming, realizing that eternity will be ours. We can deal with this conflict now. We can, we can deal with the spirit of envy that is, is about to eat us up now. Because God brings holy justice. But most time, it doesn't happen until eternity. I have a brother, and uh, <clears throat> when we were younger, in fact, my, my son had just been born, so he just turned 30, so we're talking about you know a year or two ago. And um, <clears throat> we were, I was pastoring a, a church. I was, I was working on my doctorate. Uh, we just had our son. We were making below poverty level financially. And my brother and his family come to see us. And I love my brother deeply. But he had just gotten a new job. He's a coach. Just gotten a new job. Uh, they had, were, were, had just got a, a house. They showed us pictures of the new house and the new furniture they were going to put in the new house and all of this. And I'm sitting there. We are scraping by. And I'm happy for my brother, but I'm also getting colored green with envy. They didn't stay a long time, <clears throat> but when they left, I went straight to my office at church and I cried my head off. I, I, I was thinking, God, they don't, they, he didn't care about you. He had him go to church. And he's moving up in his career and he's doing really well. And I'm over here trying to get this dissertation done and, and, and pastoring this church full time and trying to take care of my family and we're just barely getting by. God, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that kind of contradiction. And as I'm standing here, I'm telling you the gospel truth. I opened my Bible. It was one of those things where you just open your Bible and it falls open. It fell open to Psalm 73. The story of Asaph. And I read through it. And I got down on my knees. <laughs> and I said, you are one holy creator. And God transformed my heart about this issue that day. Not that I haven't had to deal with it later. That's certainly the case. But I realized <clears throat> that
that before Him, I have no reason. He is God. I have no reason to complain. I have no reason to argue. He is going to make things right. And we will step into eternity, eternity forever and ever. Thank you for joining us for this Highland Sermon from Dr. Johnny Funderburg. If you live in the Clovis, New Mexico area, we'd love to have you join us one Sunday at 10 a.m. We are located at 2201 North Main Street in Clovis. For more information about our church, visit highlandclovis.com. And to let us know a little bit more about you, choose the Connect tab and click on our online visitor card. You can also submit your prayer requests under the Connect tab. Lastly, follow us on Facebook at hbc.clovis to keep up to date with our announcements, events, and online services.